You're listening to Mission Lab. Mission Lab. From our living new man, Ben Here's our parents, Sean and Camille Brace. Hello again, folks. This is Mission Lab, episode 87, called Life is the Invitation. I hope you're doing well. I want to jump right into this topic today. And it's one that I've been thinking a little bit about uh, recently in light of some conversations I've been having with a few people along the missional journey and the journey of discipleship. I won't get into too many of the details just uh, because I don't want to um, you know, reveal too much, but um, I had some conversations with some folks recently and they were expressing some anxiety about um, joining our church. And, um, you know, uh, a couple of the individuals were expressing a desire to join our particular faith community. And uh, another one was um, kind of just expressing some anxiety that that um, you know uncertainty about doing so, and and feeling kind of um, a lot of uh, pressure to to do that. And what was most interesting to me, and the reason I bring this up is is what was most interesting is that in neither uh, occasion, in neither situation, did I or anybody else even. Um, you know, extend that invitation. Um, these are people that we have come to know and to love. We spend a lot of time with them. They uh, have participated in the life of our faith community, and um, they've, you know, they've they've really, uh, I think, been blessed by, and we've been blessed by them. But nowhere along the way, nowhere along the journey, and it's it's been a, a number of years actually in the making. Did. I or anybody else that I know, and I, and I and I know the situation really well. Nobody has ever said, "Hey, we want you to become members of our church," or "Hey, we would like to invite you to accept our theology," or "Hey, we want you to be, you know, uh, fully committed to our our theology, our doctrines, our denomination." That. Um, that has never been a conversation once. Now we have invited them into you know life with us. We've invited them to come to our gatherings. Um, we've invited them to you know take um, a more active um, role in our lives. But again, we've never even hinted once. We've we've taught the theology. We have shared it with them, but never once have we ever. Um, ever like directly or even indirectly said, hey, we think you should be a member of our church or we think that if you don't, you know, you're going to hell or whatever. Like, if anything, we actually go to the opposite extreme where we're so incredibly sensitive about and want to make sure that we do not apply any pressure whatsoever and we don't we don't want to give anyone the impression that our relationship is uh, contingent upon or determined by their willingness to be 
official members of of our you know faith community or that they you know officially subscribe to our theology like i said we have gone to great lengths not to do that in fact i remember there have been times in the past where i have felt um like some sort of inclination to be more direct and um I just felt like I wasn't at liberty to do so, and and I had plans to do this or do that, and 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 I just felt like the spirit was closing those doors. So so what what I've come to realize, and this is just a, a work in progress, but and this is very much on the uh, in the scope of discipleship, is um, life is the invitation, and the reality is is that people are making decisions about our values just by virtue of hanging out with us. Let me say that again. People are making decisions about our values, and I would also include our beliefs, just by virtue of hanging out with us. So there is power, there's, there is great power in incarnating the truth in incarnating the gospel. And, you know, I sometimes stress that I'm not inviting people into decisions enough. Like this is kind of like evangelism 101, like the altar call or the decision time where people's destiny is hanging in the balance. And I'm thinking to myself, well, maybe I'm just not being direct enough or I'm not taking the initiative enough or, Maybe I'm missing that opportunity and maybe, you know, we don't see as many people being added to our roles or being baptized or accepting our theology because I'm just not being direct enough. And it's just made me realize that I maybe am needlessly stressing when I shouldn't be because People are making decisions about our values just by virtue of hanging out with us. You know, it's like this. The analogy I would use, it's like um, hanging out with people who are vegan. And maybe this is a, a uh, uh, maybe a sensitive analogy. But take whatever issue it is. But if you go out to eat with a vegan... They do not have to say a single thing. They don't have to say a single thing for you or me to be sort of like making a decision within our own minds and hearts. Like, okay, there are vegans. Do I do I want to be a vegan? Maybe that's a better thing to be. Maybe you know that's a healthier thing for me to be. So so again, I don't have to like. They don't have to even say anything. Now, of course. The great joke is, how do you know when a person is vegan? Uh, answer, they'll tell you. Uh, of course, maybe it's a bad analogy. Uh, and also, it's also like within our faith community, kind of a sensitive topic. Like what we eat is is a very sensitive. And so many of us are already like woke to veganism or we are convicted about it. So there's like baggage there. So maybe that's not the best analogy, but take whatever it is that you know, somebody values, like you hang out with them, you know about it. They never even have to say a word, but we are always like kind of, kind of like, uh, processing in our own hearts and minds, um, 
in like, do I want to be about this? Is this something that I want to embrace? Do I want to participate in this? You know, whatever the context is, if you're hanging out with a, a Muslim or a Jew or a an atheist, like, even if it's subconsciously, like we are always, like I said, we're always kind of like making decisions based on people's implicit behavior and values. And so that's what's going on when we're discipling people is they are encountering, they are encountering what I would label truth, whether we ever invite them or explicitly even like deliberately and dogmatically like try to convert them. Um, like they're not going to hang out with us. First of all, if, if like they fully reject what we're about, it's just not going to happen. So interestingly, there is some level of acceptance that is communicated by virtue of the fact that they're hanging out with us. Um, if somebody has a value that you like vehemently disagree with, you're probably not going to spend much time with them. So um, the reality is here, here's, here's the other part, like with, with understanding that, and I've been, I've been thinking about this a lot lately as well. Like we need to respect people's agency. And this kind of goes against the grain of what I was kind of trained in, like in my, in my schooling, um, is that like, we need to bring people to decision. And if they're not like coming to the decision that we think they should be at any given moment, like we need to kind of apply the pressure. We need to, um, sort of up the ante and use techniques that will try to kind of bring them to a moment of confrontation, even if it's done gently and humbly and passively. I'll, I'll give you an example of this. And I was just thinking about this recently as I wrote my book, it came to mind. And I don't fault uh, the individual that I'm going to refer to uh, who will remain nameless. I really like the person. So it's, it's nothing against the person themselves. But I can remember when I was... Um, doing what we called field school, which is to say, um, before graduating, every theology student and religion student was required to um, spend a couple months helping out with what we called evangelistic series. So you have an evangelist, he comes in, um, he comes into a town, he puts on a series of meetings, usually focusing on you know, the book of Revelation and Daniel, last day events. So they'll have meetings that are maybe 20 to 30 nights long, three or four nights a week, usually four or five nights a week, I should say. And so people are led through a kind of a series of, you know, topical uh, presentations on like last day events with the hope, of course, the grand hope of inviting those people who attend most of whom uh, attend because they've received some sort of invitation in the mail. But the hope is that they will become members of the church, that they will get baptized and that they will become a part of the faith community. So 
I mean, there's there's so many, you know, I think we've probably talked about this a little bit in the past, um, but there's so many ways that, you know, we could break down this whole process. I'm not here to be critical of it in general. Um, I do have concerns, of course, but um, but very specifically, as uh, the as it pertains to this particular topic, I can remember over the course of these meetings. So what ends up happening is that you get a lot of people who come the first night, then fewer come the second night, and like throughout the whole series, it becomes just a battle of attrition. Like who's gonna keep coming along, you know? Because with each subsequent meeting, you're introducing um, like more and more unique teachings. So they're kind of broad in general to begin with that most, you know, Christians can agree with. And then, you know, from there you kind of introduce more and more like unique, especially for Seventh-day Adventists, unique teachings. And it kind of just becomes an exercise and seeing who can um, like withstand the, the most um, unique, uh, doctrinal challenges. So like, okay, how many can I, can I accept three of these? Okay. I'm willing to accept three of these. Okay. Then you introduce the fourth one. It's like, oh man, that's too many for me at one time to, to kind of get on board with. And, uh, you know, I'm being very broad in my assessment and, and explanation, but this is, this is essentially what happens. And what happens is, you know, again, it's, it's in a very like compact, um, period of time. It's like two months, maybe. And I know the world, uh, you know, is fast moving and fast paced, but the reality is, um, is that this is a lot for people to handle at one time. Like just imagine, and this is not a joke. This is like not an exaggeration. Just imagine that you are, um, a, a, just imagine you're a Christian and you have a certain level of biblical understanding, and then somebody else comes along, and in the span of two months, basically introduces, let's say, let's say a dozen, let's even leave it, you know, kind of conservative. Let's say they introduce a dozen ideas in scripture that are pretty much at fundamental odds with the things that you have believed your whole life. I mean, that's a very, that's a very dramatic thing. And don't get me wrong. There are lots of people who are like at a place where they are just so hungry uh, that they just want to learn more and more and more. And it's not all that like confrontational because they just want to know anything they can. And, and they're kind of like a blank slate that, that happens a lot. But just imagine that you're not necessarily that person. I mean, all of us, um, you know, we, wherever we are in our thinking, it, it, it was a lifetime of, of development, um, depending on, you know, however old you are, wherever you are now in your thinking, it, it has taken a lifetime to get to that point. So to like, just flood people with like all this new information at one time, to me, it feels like it could be a very overwhelming experience. But so part of it though, is kind of like, this, um, I would say not artificial, but a kind of one size fits all template to get people to move along in the journey of decision making at our kind of templative uh, design. So 
In other words, it assumes that everyone should be like moving along at the same speed and they should be accepting these teachings in the order in which we present them. And so it's very much as much as we want to deny that it is, it is very much um, it's very much driven by our paradigm and our uh, template rather than uh, the spirit's template. And I know I don't I don't want to draw too sharp a distinction, but um, but I, I just think that's one of the great challenges with with uh, these types of approaches is that it's kind of like a one size fits all. And then and then on top of that, we assume that if a person at any point in the process kind of puts puts their foot down and says, you know, I can't go there. We kind of we kind of assume implicitly that they're not listening to the spirit, that they are resisting the spirit, that they are rejecting, you know, truth. And the reality is it may just be that they're rejecting our pace or it may be that they're rejecting our speed or it may be that they're rejecting our framing of those ideas. And it may not at all mean that they're uh, resisting the Holy Spirit. So with all that being said, there was a particular moment where um, there was a gentleman that we were um, working with, and he was kind of coming along. He was he was he was accepting these ideas. He was making these decisions, you know, based upon what he was being uh, uh, d- trained in. But there came a point where it, it it came out that he had a problem with uh, smoking. And so he was, um, you know, a chain smoker and, um, he was, he was on board with like a lot of what we were saying, but, um, but that was like an issue. And so in this paradigm as well, and, and I'm not speaking to whether it's right or wrong, but you know, the thinking is that if you're going to be baptized, you need to have overcome nicotine, tobacco. And so, the, the evangelist said, okay, we need to get to the bottom of this. We need to kind of bring this guy to a, a, a moment of, 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 of uh, decision. And I would say, he didn't use these terms, but I would say kind of like a confrontation. Like, okay, this is the moment. Like, we need to bring him and we need to impress upon him the seriousness of the situation. And so what the evangelist decided to do, and, I, and, and he brought me along because there was a, a few of us that were traveling around from—, from uh, uh, person to person in their homes. I remember it distinctly. We went to the man's home and um, he asked the guy, we're sitting around in the living room. I remember it so acutely. We were sitting around in the living room and he asked the guy to give him a pa- his pack of cigarettes that he had. And what he did was he took the pack of cigarettes and he put the pack of cigarettes on top of a Bible and right there at that moment, he called the man to a decision and he said, brother, this is the time of decision. Either you choose these cigarettes or you choose the Bible. Either you choose these cigarettes or you choose God. And I, I, I wasn't at a place, this is now you know, 16, 17 years ago, um, I wasn't at a place, you know, certainly where I am now in my thinking, but I do remember back then feeling like this was a little 
icky. It felt a little, I don't know, manipulative. And I just felt a little uncomfortable with it. And I, I, I'll tell you, I don't remember what happened to the man. I don't remember if he, you know, chose the Bible over the cigarettes. I don't remember if he got baptized. I don't remember if he became a member of the church. Maybe he did. And he's, you know, now the president of, you know, the Michigan Conference of Seventh-day Adventists. I don't know. I, I really don't know. Uh, but the point I'm making is that it felt like it was an artificially induced decision that may not have been aligned with the Spirit's methods. Now, um, I'm not at all saying that there's never a time to, like, be direct and to invite people into decision because like the spirit works through people to bring people to decision as well. But it did feel pretty icky to me. And I mentioned this again to say that people are already making decisions without us even asking them to make decisions. And I don't want to frustrate what the spirit is doing. I don't want to um, I don't want to move faster than what the spirit is moving. And here's the thing and, and I've been thinking a lot about this lately. I don't know why it took me so long to realize, but um, there there are power dynamics that are at play. There is um, there are there's there's like power distance and by that I mean, um, we hold power in a far greater degree to a far greater degree than we realize. And I especially am trying to be cognizant of this because when I am speaking to somebody and I don't, and I don't mean to exaggerate my significance, but when I'm speaking to somebody, it's not just Sean speaking to somebody. You're listening to this. It's just not Sean speaking. Um, it, it's, it's also wrapped up in the reality that I'm a pastor, that I am a white male, that I am even the fact that I'm that I'm like I'm doing this podcast. You have willingly like submitted yourself in some ways to my opinions. And so there's already like a power dynamic that is there that's at play. And the danger that we all run into is that we can utilize that power in ways that get people to make decisions based on the power rather than the merits of the argument or the, the the issue itself. In other words, there's a, a there's a, a there's a, a a huge chance that people might make a decision based upon the fact that I'm a pastor more than again the merits of the issue itself. So, here's the thing though, like God of course, is the most powerful agent in the universe. And yet God actually chooses 
his, his approach is to give power away. God is a power-sharing God, not a power-holding God. So we see this most poignantly at the cross, where God is so jealous for our freedom. He is so honoring of our agency that the way, excuse me, the way he pursues winning our allegiance is not by trying to pull power, is not by trying to use force or coercion. It's um, it's it's based solely on him actually giving the power away and sacrificing himself. It's what some people have called power under rather than power over. And like scripture tells us that he emptied himself. He denied himself. And again, like, and we see this throughout scripture for sure. Like God gives commands and the people of uh, the God's people, like, like they honored his commands, but the danger with that is, and God knew this, which is why ultimately he was moving towards sharing and giving away power. God knew that people are liable to obey him simply because he's God. And that is not the type of obedience God wants. God wants a freely chosen, love-motivated obedience that he wins through love rather and demonstration rather than through sovereignty and divine fiat. Again, I think this is what we see in the development of, of, of Scripture and God's people, is that originally God wanted to share power with Adam and Eve. Um, you know, he said that they had dominion over the, over the earth. He said he was making them in his image. He wanted to share power with Adam and Eve, but what happened was they couldn't handle it. And then Throughout scripture, we see that God's people were so, um, they were so immature in their thinking that they needed to have external power um, enforced in order for them to do the right thing. And uh, this is in many ways the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. So like God, of course, was willing to meet them there because he wanted them just to like survive, right? Like when you have a child and you know, you don't want them to run out on the street, you want, you have their survival in mind. And so you're going to do whatever it takes to make sure the child doesn't run out onto the street. But if, if, if your child is 30 and they still require some sort of, you know, divine, power play for them to to fall into line, you'd be pretty concerned about their development. And so that's what we see with God's people in the Old Testament. But as we come to Jesus, like Jesus promoted an ethic of love and an internalized type of obedience that was not born out of like power but was born out of demonstration and love. And so 
what see see the 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 greatest distance i mean you talk about a power dynamic the greatest distance between two creatures in the universe and maybe i shouldn't say creatures but two beings in the universe is between god and humanity so there is tremendous risk for human beings to do what God says because of that great power distance, the hierarchy, the dynamic there. And so God knows that. And so he does not want obedience simply because he has so much power over us. He wants obedience that is based out on and born out of love. And so the way that, that the only way for God to accomplish that was to become one of us. And to become the lowest among us and to become a servant and a slave and and to empty himself and to go to the the point of death, even the death of the cross. And so that that shows us the lengths to which God goes to honor our agency, to honor our freedom, to want to promote a, a internalized decision based upon persuasion and attraction rather than of external compelling. So um, so, so the reality is, and, and I've just, again, starting to really unpack and explore this, is that when I am discipling people, when I am being on mission with people, I need to go the extra mile in honoring their agency, I need to go the extra mile in making sure I am not like influencing a decision that is based on anything other than the merits of God's self-emptying love. And so I am choosing more and more to invite explicitly less. I am choosing more and more to not utilize any tactics that might even remotely you know border on on the power dynamics now you know maybe i'm i'm going to the opposite extreme i don't know and again i'm not saying there's never a time to invite um but it needs to be very prayerfully and carefully done lest somebody accept the invitation based on the power that I have rather than the love that God has. Okay, does this make sense to you? So again, to sum it all up, like and I and I think this is what like God is kind of working on on a macro scale. Um ultimately like I think this whole story, God's whole story is heading towards is that it will like God's story is trying to get God's people finally and ultimately to this place of complete um, autonomy. And by that, I don't mean like autonomy outside of God, but what God is trying to do is restore his image in humanity, which includes us becoming completely free, liberated moral agents living out obedience through love rather than compulsion. 
And so like I like I believe that God's people as they live at the end of his story are going to recapture the the wholehearted whole-souled commitment to honoring people's agency, honoring people's freedom and not using anything, not using any tactic, any method that would um, that would rely upon or or utilize any tactic that is is an external type of compulsion and obedience. And um, so I think part of that is what, what it means to be in recovery. Part of that is what it means to be emotionally intelligent people is, um, yeah, just like realizing that God is trying to restore our agency. He's, he's trying to ins- restore our individuality and making us less codependent, making us, um, you know, less insecure. And uh, so anyway, these are just kind of the, the ponderings I've been having lately. And, you know, the individuals that I refer to at the end, love them. They're awesome. My training would have, 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 have had me, you know, say, well, listen, this is the point of decision. And if you're not on board, then, you know, we have the truth. And, and no, I honor them. And I say, you know what? The spirit is working on your heart and leading. And I have no doubt that the spirit will bring you to where the spirit wants you to be. And if that's with us, awesome. If it's not with us, you know, that's, you know sad from for us but you know we we trust in the spirit and again like our training my training would have said you're supposed to call people to decision you're supposed to tell them that if they don't accept the truth right now that this is their chance and you're supposed to say you know what you know you, what you think is the spirit is just some other spirit and if you just have to go where the people who have the truth are and um i believe that you know I believe that the Seventh-day Adventist Church has the fullest expression of the truth and God's story and the gospel, but I, I'm i not going to try to manipulate people into that. And at the end of the day, and I, I kind of touched on this in a previous episode about you know functional pluralism, um, at the end of the day, I don't want anyone to be a part of it who who isn't compelled by the Spirit to, to be a part of it anyway. Um so like I just have to trust the spirit and realizing that my life is a constant perpetual invitation for everyone that I encounter and just trusting that the spirit is doing what the spirit does. And uh, I just want to invite you to, again, this does not like some might hear this and say, well, this is just like a bunch of pluralism and you know, you don't view view this as as a, a pressing issue or there's no urgency in what you're, you know, what you're talking about. And I'm still working through that, but I would just say, broadly speaking, that um, like it just can so easily, so easily slide into manipulation, coercion pressure. And again, that's not to say there isn't a time for pressure, but, um, but I just, if I'm going to err, I'm going to err on the side of agency, honoring, freedom, loving, winsome, 
like just yeah just live a, a winsome life again like the vegans i know who are the most winsome and the most persuasive are the ones who just do it in the quietness of their own existence and don't preach at you about it and they just like they accept you no matter what you decide to do whether you're a vegan or not a vegan like again they don't invite you they don't pressure you they don't look down on you like those are the most winsome vegans i know so like let's just live a loving winsome gospel-centered life and like leave the invitations up to the spirit working through us through the way we live and i i think that will like i think that will be enough that's what i want to believe and that's what i think so um i don't know that's where i am I'd love to get your feedback on this. If you have any thoughts, questions, um, clarifications, really cool. Hit me up, seanbrace at gmail.com. But um, that's that's what I think about that. So thanks for tuning in and um, pray for us, pray for our journey. And we'll see you again, talk to you again, hopefully next week. Thanks for tuning in, guys. God bless. Thank you for listening to Mission Lab. Our theme song is Portland Hike by Tiny Music. Additional editing by Chris Ergang. Follow us on Twitter at MLabPodcast. Podcast.